Peace and Black Power family, this is your host, Raheem Shabazz, and we are here for another episode of Necessary Blackness Podcast. And today, once again, I am joined by my lovely co-host, Marcy Lee, and we have a great topic of discussion. Also, we have a special guest that is going to be joining us via Zoom. And um, we're going to speak about a few topics before we actually get into today's broadcast. And one of the topics I want to speak about is how parent planhood has officially denounced Margaret Sagner. And we knew for years that she was a racist. Mm -hmm. She said a lot of things that was... Um, negative uh, towards African-Americans, black people. And this was not just uh, parent, parent, Planned Parenthood that did this. It, it came officially from his Brooklyn um, headquarters. Mm. They have a headquarters in Brooklyn. Right. So I, I think that was something that um, was surprising to a lot of people because for years, they have not denounced them. For years, um, they have led the charge in black genocide. Um, as many of you are aware of, Hillary Clinton and Nancy Pelosi received the Margaret Sagler Award from Planned Parenthood. Uh, when you heard about it, what was your thoughts? My thoughts were, have they changed any of their procedures, though? Like. We understand that she's a racist, you know, Maria Sanger. But the thing is, you're talking about eugenics now. You're talking about people who feel like survival of the fittest. And I really feel like that this discussion is more two-pronged because although we recognize that she's a racist. Absolutely. Planned Parenthood assisted in the genocide of black people. So have their procedures, their policies, the culture within Planned Parenthood has it changed? Because this is the idea that I, I was receiving. And you can let me know what you think. So you position yourself in, within an organization that control population. And we're talking about the births of different races. So I feel like that is a very important position to be in. And I told you before that I took pre-law classes. So we talked about Margaret Sanger and some of the policies um, that was practiced in Planned Parenthood. Some of them would be, you know, diverting um, white mothers, white young mothers away from abortion while encouraging black mothers to abort. Um, even people calling in and making donations saying my money is to only go towards the abortion of black babies. So my question to them and to you is what about procedure policy? Has that changed? They they, they made no statement about uh, changing any policy and procedures. Um, so once again, this is probably just um, symbolic gesture, nothing more, nothing less. But I, I want to read people a direct quote of what Margaret Sagler said, right? Well, I have one statistic here while you look. Okay, yeah, go ahead. And I'm reading from uh, a um, article that I read, and it was by Reverend Dr. Clinard um, H. Childress Jr. And he said that Planned Parenthood was founded on the principles of eugenics, more of the fit, less of the unfit. Uh, unfortunately, by their own admission, they deem people of color unfit just because of their color. And they were saying that um, over 21 million African-Americans have been killed by abortion since 1973, 21 million. Wow. So 52% of all African-American pregnancies end in abortion. It's that's crazy. That's, that's, crazy. that's staggering. That's more than half. That's more than half. And that's something I don't think a lot of people are aware of. 
you know, when we're talking about Black Lives Matter, this is something that needs to be a part of that conversation. And not only are they strategically placed in Black neighborhoods, but once again, there were secret recordings that came out mm -hmm. where, like you said, that people was donating money specifically to abort black babies. So I found a quote and the quote says, uh, and this is Margaret Sadler, it shows us that we are paying for and even submitting to the dictates of an ever increasing, unseemingly sparring class of human beings who never should have been born at all. She's not helping black people, she's trying to exterminate black people. This is what Jesse Jackson, he called it in the seventies, black genocide. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I, I thought I thought that was something that um, we should discuss. That was in, in, in the news. And there was also um, another thing that uh, came up is uh, a bronze statue of Sojourner Truth mm -hmm. and Susan B. Anthony was placed alongside uh, Elizabeth Stanton. Right. And um, if you don't already know the history behind Susan B. Anthony, this was a racist who uh, expressed vitriol towards black Americans. Um, but they have a statue now in Central Park mm -hmm. alongside of each other. And the women's rights organization, they are hailing this as a victory another case of symbolic justice. When you heard about that, what was your thoughts? Well, I don't know why they they saw it as a victory. I would love to hear someone's thought process of why they felt like it was a victory. I mean, we're talking about the women's suffrage uh, movement. And, you know, this statue has these three women huddled together as if they're having discourse. When we know that that would have never happened, uh, they started out in this movement um, alongside, I think, Frederick Douglass trying to get um, voting rights for everyone and eventually ended up, you know, not supporting Frederick Douglass, you know, when in the 15th Amendment, when eventually black men did get the right to vote. Um, they, they was hating on them, you know. Uh, so um, I think that it's kind of very misleading. Once again, the miseducation of the people. Uh, whitewashing situations. I'm not sure if it was supposed to include a black person in something that they thought was grand, or was it a way to soften the the reality of the racist history by adding in the black person to soften the situation? So I'm not sure. That's what I'm saying. I would need somebody to explain to me why this is a victory from their point of view. And you know, another way to look at it, right? Let's go back and look at everything, right? This is another monument. Now, we know in the last couple of months that Black America has been calling for the destruction and the taking down of Confederate monuments, right? Right. And you have to understand why there's a George Washington, Robert E. Lee, and all these other Confederate soldiers uh, monuments. What they are practicing family is our ancient tradition of ancestor reverence. So when you have buildings, bridges, schools, libraries, and all type of financial and educational institution named after these race soldiers, they are paying hundreds to them. They are calling on the spirits of their ancestors. And now what they're attempting to do is to use our great teachers and ancestors and integrate them into these racist individuals so we won't call for the uh, taking down of, their of that particular monument. You know, how does that look, someone protesting to take down um, this brand new uh, bronze statue that has Sojourner Truth on it when they're going to say, well, Sojourner Truth is on it, along with Susan B. Anthony and the other young lady that I uh, mentioned earlier. So we got to be mindful. You know, they practicing ancestor reverence. They're paying homage 
and to their ancestors, and they're calling on their spirits because they possess those same spirits. They possess that same energy of those that seek to subjugate us and to oppress us. Okay. So moving right along, um, the next thing that I seen that I found very interesting, and me and you talked about this, was in Jacksonville, Florida. They had tested 700 homeless individuals for COVID-19, and of the 700 individuals that had tested, zero tested positive. Right. Yeah. How did that happen? What are your thoughts on that? You know what? That's the big mystery. But I have heard a lot of people saying that, you know, because homeless people, um, they don't socialize in the same capacity that we do. You have arguments on both sides. You have people saying they should be more susceptible because they don't have access to regular clean water, uh, to wash their hands. Uh, they're probably touching on a lot of stuff with germs and, you know, rah, rah, rah. So, and then you have this other side that's saying, well, they're not being exposed because they're not in the typical normal social circles. I have no idea, but you know, a lot of conspiracy theory uh, theorists are saying like, there's no COVID. If there was COVID, they would be the first ones to get it. So I guess they feel like that supports their claim. I don't know. I have no idea. You know, I'm not a, a healthcare professional. There's no way for me to test on my own to see if people really have COVID or not have COVID. So I can only go off of the information um, that I'm given. So what do you think? Um, I think that the homeless people are smarter than a lot of people give them credit. You know, um, a lot of people, they look at homeless as a problem and they are the cause of a lot of social ills that are going on in society when in fact they don't even want to be a part of society. They have social distance themselves from society long before the COVID-19 happened. And as far as people saying that homeless people don't wash their hands, um, I beg to differ. Just because someone is homeless doesn't mean that they don't maintain their hygiene. There are people that lost their jobs, that are sleeping in cars, and they're doing what they have to do, whether it's uh, having a membership, the Black Planet Fitness, oh, I said Black Planet, yeah. Uh, Planet Fitness, and they're using the bathroom there, or using public facilities to use the bathroom. They know how to make a way. In fact, if there was a state of emergency and people had to evacuate and things was in chaos and, and you, you abruptly taken from your home, the first person that you should connect with is someone homeless to tell you how to survive on the street because they've been doing it long and longer than us mm. so that that that's what i think on that mm -hmm. now um I, I didn't see this as the biggest thing in the news um but it maybe it should have been because a lot of people are hailing this as a monumental moment i did see pictures they show pictures side to side of the march on washington and it looked at like about the same amount of people was there as it was in 1963 with Martin Luther King. Yeah. I, I, I heard snippets of it, um, some good, some bad. Um, but my, my, my thing is, um, most people were saying that this sounded like a Democratic and Joe Biden rally. And it was uh, more so to drum up support and votes for the Democratic Party. Um, a lot of people were saying that um, nothing changed since the 1963 March on Washington. And um, in, in certain aspects, it's even worse today than it was back then. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I caught a few of the speeches and I feel like perhaps maybe they have merged the interest of the Democratic Party with the interest of Black people simply <coughs> because 
uh, they feel like it's an automatic. And that's something that just seems to be intertwined in the fabric of Black culture now. And it's something that we really need to think about getting away from. Um, and a lot of the speeches that I saw, I wasn't particularly inspired. It was kind of like a repeat of, you know, the same of what I've been hearing. I was um, impressed by attorney Lee Merritt. I thought he gave a good speech, you know, speaking on black power. And um, I thought that his speech was powerful. And other than that, I mean, the only thing that kind of, you know, uh, stuck out to me was that Al Sharpton was in the mix. Yeah, he was in every, every video that I seen, he was standing there. And he and, and when Lee Merritt was speaking, he was looking nervous. Like, I know he just ain't say black power. I almost feel like he was whispering him, like, chill out, chill out, or something like that, when he kept saying black power. I'm like, I wonder what he's saying to him right now. Yeah, he probably was telling him that. You know, you got to understand, right? Let's look at the word black power. That's the operative word right now, right? In 1963, there was not one single person from the black power movement, Stokey Carmichael, um... H. Drat Brown and others that was allowed to even speak. The word black power never came across that microphone. But here it is, 2020, and one person had the audacity to say that. And I think that that was um, one of the takeaway moments from that uh, march of him saying black power. Um, another thing is, you know, I've seen a lot of uh, forgiving, a lot of um, you know, we shouldn't be violent. We shouldn't burn down our cities and different things like that, calling for calm and different things like that. And we have to stop that family. We really, 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 really have to stop that. And um, I don't want to, you know, it's a sensitive topic because I don't know the pain of someone losing their child, right? So I, I don't know what these families are going through or what they're dealing with. I can only imagine. And I can just imagine my rage of, my, you know, watching someone else lose their loved ones. If it was me, it would be magnified 10 times. But before the person that cold-bloodedly murdered your loved one, you're saying that you already forgive them? That is something that, you know, we have to stop doing. I was and about I to make a joke, but I'm not going to make it. But, it, it, you know, when I think about Christianity, that seems to be their first tenet or something. Like, it seems to be something that's um, the first thing they say to prove that they are a true Christian. Yeah. Um, so I feel like I'm with you. Uh, and there's no way I would be asking for, you know, people to show mercy, forgiveness, anything. I'm like, do what's in your heart. Do what you feel. Like, that's that's pretty much the energy that I would be going with. Um, another thing that I feel like might be a component to this is I almost feel like there's something like etiquette 101 that is that these Black people are ushered through when, when these situations happen. I almost feel like their attorneys and the representatives kind of give them a speech about what to do and what not to do. And I'm not trying to disrespect nobody. Don't take it that way. In looking forward to the civil action, I almost feel like the, the judges or the people making decision look at the behavior of those loved ones who are responding to what has happened to their loved ones and kind of like that all plays a role. I don't know. What do you think? That's just something that came to my mind, like as if they're kind of coached on what to say, what not to say to ensure that they will be, um, you know, given I the believe, best opportunity to receive like funds. I believe that they are coached, they are co-hosts, and they are encouraged to say what needs to be said in order to get that money. And it's very unfortunate that they will allow themselves 
to be used as a tool and also a slave. Now, I do understand. I do understand that having, you know, that type of money would uh, relieve and give you some form of comfort, but you're doing yourself more disservice and a disservice to your loved one. And I made out a call to my family, and I will state that publicly here. If anything was to happen to me, y'all better ride for me and y'all better burn this motherfucker down. Simple as that. If someone says Raheem would want more, that's not who he is. We are calling for peace and calm. Y'all stone that motherfucker because he's lying. That's right. just I'm, I'm just being I'm, I'm just being truthful. And we all have to take and adapt that uh, attitude. And let me tell you something. There's nothing wrong with being nonviolent. In certain instances, it calls for nonviolence. I am nonviolent, right? But let me tell you something. I had to be violent before I can become nonviolent. And sometimes you have to go to war in order to have peace. And if you wanted to stop, this is the only solution. You got to fight back. You can't be docile. You can't, you know, scrap, you know, laugh. And scratch where you don't itch. You got to stand up like a man and you got to fight. Because we are fighting, uh, you know, spiritual wickedness in high places. That's what your good book tell you. You know, so moving right along, we we, we going through a lot of topics. Yeah. We got, we got something special coming up. I'm going to let you do the honors and um, introduce that. Um, actually, we had someone that we were going to talk to in regards to, they reached out to me and he expressed interest in the Republican Party. He feels for some reason that I'm a Democrat and I'm not a Democrat. Um, I'm open, you know, so I, um, I have had criticisms of the Democratic Party and criticisms of the Republican Party, but we were going to have a discussion about the Republican Party and why some black people are deciding to make that jump. Um, but he's not on the phone. I don't know if you want to go ahead and, um, you know. Let's go to a commercial it. break and then come back. All right, well, we can go to commercial break. All right, before we go to a commercial break, let me um, say this. Our next guest, the views of our next guest is no way the opinions and the thoughts and the ideas and the political persuasion or anything affiliated with Necessary Blackness podcast. I think it is important, though, to have conversations with other people that you may be diametrically opposed to their view, because um, sometimes we don't know what led them to their decision. Maybe. By the slight chance, we will be able to agree to disagree. Or uh, I may see some good in what new. he's saying. Yeah. Huh? I said, yeah, or learn something new. Or learn something new because I am uh, always open to learning. So um, you want to um, go to a, we go, what we could do is we can go to a commercial break. You can end this right here, and then we, uh, we'll get back on when you have him in. Okay, guys, you are watching the Necessary Blackness podcast. I'm Marcy Lee, and you're here with Raheem Shabazz as well, and we'll see you back here after the break. Peace and Black Power family, this is your host, Raheem Shabazz, and we are here for another episode of Necessary Blackness podcast, and we are coming back from our break. And what we was doing, family, we was waiting. It wasn't on a commercial break. We was on a waiting break, and we was waiting, hoping that our guest was going to call in. And as Marcy Lee previously explained, this is an individual who has pledged allegiance to the Republican Party. And I think that would have been a, a great and interesting dialogue. Um, yeah, he actually not- said that he wanted to debate us. Oh, yeah, about why black people should be Republican at this at this time. And, um, you know, I was ready. I was, you know, waiting for him to um, let us know something. 
Well, I am of the belief of our great grandmaster teacher, John Henry Clark, where he says, I only debate my equals, everyone else I teach. So I don't know if it would have been a debate, but it definitely would have been a very spirited conversation. Um, you said that he thought that you was a Democrat. People got to understand they are Republicans, they are Democrats, and they are independent. We got to start remembering that. There are three parties. There's not just two parties. There are three parties. But what I found... I'm nonpartisan. Like, I'm nonpartisan. Huh? I don't belong to a party. I'm nonpartisan, you know, just like religion. I don't belong to a religion. I'm not a Christian. I'm not a Muslim. I'm open. And, um, you know, I respect all, but I just don't put myself in no group. Um, and I don't box myself in. I'm, I'm just... I just kind of live my life. And that's one thing I think people um, maybe should kind of think about considering, you know, if a Republican came my way and, you know, I feel like it was in the best interest of black people, I might consider it. The same way with Democrats, you don't automatically get my vote because I'm black. So I think um, that's something I just kind of wanted to clear up. Better not let Joe Buttons hit. I mean, I said Joe Button. <laughs> Joe Biden here, you say that because he said if you don't vote for him, you ain't black. Yeah, like I like I would take my advice from him. Like I would take who I am from Joe Biden. I know that's right, but you know, um, in preparing for this conversation today, dealing with uh, individuals that would that is uh, black and that pledges his allegiance to the Republican Party. I was doing some research and I came across something that was very intriguing. Some of the stuff I previously knew about, um, some of the stuff I didn't know about. You know, we all know that um, back when they were trying to abolish slavery, most of the Republicans was against slavery and it was the Democrats was, right? So how, it just show you how times change. But I came across a, a little article. Before you move on, it's really important to be clear about that because a lot of Republicans use that as a, a point for talking. And they say Repub the Republican Party is the party who abolished slavery, which is not, I feel like it's misleading and is a manipulation because you are not the same party as that Republican Party. That Absolutely. Republican Party has changed. Um, and has transformed so many times. And one thing that people need to understand is that back then, the Democratic Party, those white Southerners, who was very upset about civil rights um, and things being put in place for Black people, were so upset that they went to the Republican Party. And those are the people who we kind of see their descendants being a part of right now through socialization. So I just want to make that clear when they try to claim that, when they try to get the credit for that, that wasn't you and that wasn't, you know, your um, uh, predecessors. That was a whole different group of Republicans. And to add on to that, we know that the Republicans and the Democrats is two wings of the same bird. That's true. So when you say that many of them, yeah. So when you say that many of them crossed over and became Republicans, and Republicans came Democrats, we, we see that title. now. Right. It's yeah, just it's, it's just a title. Just like well, when Malcolm X said, you know, the fox and the wolf. You know, mm -hmm. um, he was equaling um, the wolf to uh, the Republicans and the fox to the Democrats, saying that the Fox was more dangerous because they're sneaky and they try to pretend, pretend like they're your friend and, mm -hmm. you know, um, so it's more dangerous. And I agree with that. And I think that's something that Black people really need to take heed to uh, because Malcolm X was right. All these years, the Democrats have pretended um, or who, who they have convinced us that they're going to do what's in our best interest. But then we look around after everything is over and they haven't done anything. So I think that's something that's really key with um, something that Malcolm X pointed out, you know, back in the 60s. Yeah, that is definitely true. And that quote is a, def uh, is a memorable quote from our dear brother Malcolm X. So 
the research that I've done and um, the brief information that I came across dealing with the Republic, Republican Party, it talks about right before the American uh, Civil War, there was a young group of, uh, it was an anti-slavery group and it sprang up and it was known as the Wide Awakes. Can you believe that? This group was known as the Wide Awakes, right? They was known for taking to the streets with torches or lamps, which symbolizes the light of liberty, the light bearer, to protest in favor of the abolition of slavery while advocating other social justice reforms that reflected the interests of young Republicans of that time. The tendency to associate a sensitivity towards race politics with being a woke or woke has precedence with the wide awake club, which had Freemasonic flavoring, right? So before there was a Republican party, there was a group of young anti-slavery uh, abolitionists that called themselves the wide awake. And it's ironic that those that are conscious today call themselves awakened. But this was right before the Civil War. So um, that, that, that was some uh, history that I found on the Republican Party. But once again, and as you stated so eloquently, this is not the same party. Leadership has changed hands hundreds of times. <laughs> you know, uh, different people are put in place those that hold certain political beliefs, they uh, either leave the party, they die off, and someone new comes in. And um, it just goes to show you that something that possibly was intended for good can end up to what we see today and that's being played out at the Republican National Convention. And speaking of that goddamn convention, and this is what I want to tell the young man that was going to join us today, is that if you didn't notice, because many people have it, there was a few that did, and um, they spoke about it online as well as myself, that Herman Cain, who was a stout supporter of Donald Trump and has previously ran for the highest office in the land, uh, was at that Tulsa, Oklahoma rally, and supposedly that's where he caught the COVID-19 virus, and he died. Some people say he committed suicide for being loyal to Donald Trump. But either way, how is that man's name not even mentioned on that stage? No one that took that podium had the gall to mention his name to mention the good work that he was doing for that organization. I guess the memo went out. I mean, they be on one accord. That's one thing you can't say about the Republican Party, man. Because uh, that's very ironic that no one mentioned him. Or maybe it was edited out. I mean, I don't know if it was it was live. Was it live? Was everybody speaking? Um, I, I, I didn't watch it, so I wouldn't know. I just yeah, I saw a clip. I don't know if it was live or not, but I did watch clips. And that's you, you know what? I, I don't even want to say that a memo went out to not mention it because mentioning him wouldn't have done no harm. I just think these are this is how these people they move and operate. No, people will associate his death with the failure of Donald Trump. You have to understand. You got it. Got yeah, it. You like, you I didn't even think it. about it like that. Yeah. Yeah, so it's just the, the the them always using propaganda. They're very, I mean, that's how they win wars. We know it, psychological warfare. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I think that the memo went out because I that's I, I can't believe that no one would honor him and show their respect. Yeah, it's sad. It's sad. You know, um, they didn't have his family there. I don't know if the man was married, his wife, his kids, no one in attendance. That's crazy. That but I bet, you, I bet you his family will get that mail-in ballot. They don't want that vote for him. Another thing a lot of people were talking about was the fear-mongering. Like, dude, how can you year after year um, 
rally after rally, just every opportunity, find a way to invoke so much fear into your base. Like, it's like his base, it's almost like they have to continuously do that to keep them revved up. What do you think about, about that situation? That is an old, tried, and tested tactic that has proven to be very beneficial. It, it was beneficial. I think it was, uh, was it President? It was either Clinton or, or George Bush. You know, you I get these races mixed up because they all have the same playbook, but it was Willie Horton was uh, a guy that I think was on parole or something like that. And he got let out in Massachusetts. He was out on parole and he wound up killing and doing some heinous crime. And they used that. Uh, he was the poster child for their law and order campaign. And it won them all type of uh, votes. Uh, Bill Clinton, I, I remember he did it with Sister Soldier where they misconstrued uh, one of her comments mm. where, um, you know, they made it look like she said, we need a day where we just go out and kill white people, you know? And, and the sad part was you had handkerchief head Negroes such as Jesse Jackson that uh, publicly denounced our dear sister uh, to show favoritism. And um, so, you know, you know what they do, man. They, they got to please their white handlers. But the invoking of fear is a tactic that they will continuously use because there's a lot of fearful people out here. And the reason why they're fearful because they know the shit that they did, they deserve death and retribution. But we are just uh, loving and forgiving people. We don't yeah, even think like that. One meme that was going around on Instagram um, that they were holding up and they were saying, you better be glad that black people want equality and not revenge. Absolutely, and that's from our dear sister, Kimberly Latrice Jones. Mm. That's her quote, and that, that, that quote, that saying rings true, but, you know, that's just a quote, right? It's going to become a time. If shit doesn't stop, then it's going to become a reality. People but, are going to seek revenge for yeah, what is being done. So what is the time frame, though? Like, you know, I don't know how much time black people feel like they have. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm, I, I would like to see things happen sooner than later. You know, I feel like we keep turning the cheek, we keep doing the marching. Like I'm really ready for this revolution, especially what Ice Cube was talking about. We mentioned him before on our last podcast. Like I'm, you know, I just don't see much change in our attitudes and the way that we move as far as how we're going to get these things accomplished. People still want to rely on this um, election. Um, mm -hmm. process. It's, it's I think, I, yeah, I think we got one more generation to die off. This older, the last regiments of the civil rights movement, you know, um, and I don't mean to say it in, in, the, in the manner that I do, you know, I don't wish death on nobody, but we all know that one day we're going to transition. And right now, um, a lot of the, the old civil rights leaders, the ones that want to get along, you know, um, within the next 25 years, none of them, uh, you, you will never hear in 25 to let's say 30 years from now, you're not going to hear anybody say that I marched with Martin Luther King. Anybody that marched with Martin Luther King is probably going to be gone. And I think that this generation, um, not just blacks, I'm talking about with society as a whole, is really trying to make change. It's just the older gods are, are making it hard. And, you know, the Bible tells you the sins of the fathers is visited upon the heads of their children. And the children of today do not want to go through what is almost uh, um, bound to happen to them for what is being done to black society today. So that's where, you know, the statement, um, you're glad that we want equality and not just revenge comes in that. Yeah. So I wanted to uh, communicate, just kind of tell you about something that happened to me when I woke up this morning. I had a, a thought um, mm -hmm. come across my mind 
And it was in relation to our last podcast when I talked about Kamala and was saying like, you know, I'm good on Joe Biden. I'm good on President Trump. And then this morning I had a vision. I was like, you know what? I'm sick of seeing his face. Like, I don't want to see his face no more. And I almost felt like that was motivation enough for me to vote on the other side because I just don't want to see Trump's face anymore. And I know that's not a good reason, but that's the thought that came across my mind. What you think about that? Um, you know what? <laughs> you know, since we you know, since we're being transparent, I I almost is like, you know what? This he has to go, you know what I mean, and um, it's just that if we continue to give them our support, time and time again, there's there's not going to be no change, you know. Um, just say for the sake of the argument, we you know black people go out in masses and they vote for uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, right? And then when they get into office, Kamala Harris shows us who she is because she already told us who she was. And we always told someone tell you who they are, you're supposed to believe them. But she she becomes the top cop. And she's on law enforcement side and there's still uh, state-sanctioned murders and, and the Justice Department is doing nothing for it. And you know, I read lo and something. behold, lo and behold, now you have another racist in the Republican Party that they put in their votes behind, you know, they're putting their power behind and they're propping him up, you know. Um, and he's just as bad. Some people say Mike Pence. They was like, yo, we lucky we got Trump for president and not Mike Pence. What if the next term Mike Pence runs for president they're going to do the same thing. Y'all want Joe Biden well, that's Kamala, why we have or do y'all want Mike Prince? That, that's it's a, just like we will be taken uh, granted again because we just gave them the vote. So that's why, you know, I love what Ice Cube said about, yo, listen, it ain't over yet. They have to come to us and tell us something specifically what they're going to do for Black America. If not, then the hell Black with people, it. No, see, that's the, that's the thing. Are black people going to get on one accord? Like, it could work. Like, I was trying to think about it and analyze it. And I feel like, hmm, if it don't work out this time, maybe we really all need to study, you know, or expand upon, you know, what Ice Cube has has provided us. Because I was a little concerned that maybe we didn't have enough time to pull this together to change nah, the time, and hearts of black time. people. Um, because black people are stubborn. Black people sometimes don't like change. And it might be a little difficult task to get everybody on board. But I feel like if that was the case, we really need to start having campaigns and taking it serious for the next cycle. Um, if we don't have enough time to get it accomplished. Now, we can't just drop it here. Like we really have to pick it up and continuously work on this until we get the um, results that we're looking for. And one more thing I wanted to say about the Kamala thing is that I saw something, it was an article where they were saying that Joe Biden is actually in poor health. And they were saying that, you know, once they win the election, that Kamala was actually gonna be the president and that they were gonna, that he was gonna step down and that she was gonna step up as president. What do you think about that possibility? in this top cop um, scenario that you're, you know, talking about? Um, that is usually how it goes. Uh, if something happens to the president, then um, the next person in line will be the vice president and she will have to pick someone to be her vice president once she becomes president. Um, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but what I will say is that she's not even vice president yet. And all the black women that gave her their vote, she already picked, uh, what is it, her secretary or chief of staff or something like that. Yeah. And, and, and that's, and that's an a Indian woman, 
that, um, from what I know, has no politics with her. I never heard of her. I could be wrong. Um, but there was not somebody that was more qualified that that was black that you could have put in that position of power. And it just it just goes to show you. And I just want to go back to what you were saying earlier when you said it might not be enough time, right? They're going to have to rally in every single state. They're going to visit every single state. And it's less than 80 days from now, right? Um, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris in order to drum up support to get those votes, right? Now, Joe Biden wasn't in good shape. Uh, if you look in terms of the polling, right? When he got endorsed by, uh, what was it, Clyburn in South Carolina, and they said black women came out in doves. And that really is what propelled him to really begin to take traction in this race, right? When he goes there and Clyde, Byrne, and all those black women, if they say, listen, we can guarantee you our vote, but we're going to want some reparations. You're going to have to do, even if it's not reparations, you're going to have to do something that's specific. For Black America, why Kamala seem like a straight hater though? Like, like she just to the end, just really tried not sure. to do it. But you know what? Hopefully, like maybe that's what we want. We want something tangible, like you know, for real. Like that they're going to say, okay, yes, we're going to do this specifically for Black people. Because I'm sick of her rhetoric talking about if it helps the whole, it's going to you know basically trickle down and help Black people know. That's not what we're doing. That's and, and, yeah, and see, and see, this is the thing. When you say, you know, we're going to uh, invest in economically depressed uh, communities, all black people don't live in low-income uh, low, low housing or communities. How does that benefit them? You know, so it's just like, you know, and, and, and truth be told, you know, you got all ethnic groups that live in, low-income housing, economically depressed communities. We want something specific for Black people. The Hispanics, they got the immigration. You know, the Indians, they got the reservation. You know, the LP, the LGTPI. <laughs> I mess it up every time. I didn't say but, um, they, they, you know, they, they have the uh, right to marriage and they got other laws that was put in place for them. And I'm not saying no one doesn't deserve what they got, but what about Black America? You know, I know we the uh, last hired and first fired. You know, we the last on everything, but this is it. We have reached the end of the rope. It's either put up or shut up. And Black people got to hold them responsible. And it should never be one person that's acting as a spokesperson. Last time with Obama, it was Al Sharpton. And they looked at the White House call law, I mean, a visitor law. Al Sharpton visited Obama more than any other black leaders and all the other black leaders combined. And he wasn't elected or appointed. How'd he get there? Who put yeah, him there? Because he was acting as a spokesperson for black America. And guess what? We got nothing. And, and, and what we have to do, family, as a society and a group of people, is stop looking for leadership from everybody else in this one singular well, person. Well, we're sending the message that is okay. <laughs> like, we got Kanye and uh, what's the guy with the mustache, the comedian, like, people going to, you know, meet with Trump. It's just like, we're, we're basically we're basically in support of... You're talking about Steve Harvey. Yeah, yeah, Steve Harvey. <laughs> um... <laughs> We're in so we're in support of celebrities, representatives, or people that we don't respect as leaders whose course has ran. You know, their 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 leadership in the black community has ran its course. So we are seeking, you know, conversation with people that we appoint, that we respect, the people that we want to represent us. And we're not getting that. It's, that's that's right. to me. That's like the ultimate disrespect. It's like it's like yeah, we know what you want, but we're not gonna give it to you. We're gonna right. we're gonna communicate with the people we want to communicate with. Like you know, so 
I think that's a, a huge problem. And, and they're bold enough to say it to their face. You know, Kamala Harris, man, that one soundbite, boy, that was wicked. She said, if you think I'm going to do something specifically for black people, you're sadly mistaken. So but therefore, you know it can't be checked by the real black community. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Know, you know what I want to say, though, right? And some of y'all may have heard me say this before, right? The choir is always louder than the soloist. You don't need just one person meeting with this person and they, they making the decision. That's why I was so upset. And a lot of people don't uh, know this because they just see what mainstream media puts out. You know why LeBron James and them called off that boycott? They had a meeting with Barack Obama, oh, someone man. that is a part of the establishment. Someone who still receives money, the Democratic Party, which he's a part of, from these commissioners and owners of these basketball teams. So he has a vested interest for them to play ball so that the white handlers are satisfied. But he's the one that, that someone, someone put this on a tweet. They said, after conversing with uh, Barack Obama, he told LeBron James, get back to work. Right. So he was one individual. Then the other individual was Michael Jordan, who owns the Charlotte Hornets. He spoke and was able to uh, uh, convince these young NBA players to go back. And, 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 and it's sad. Because it's sad, but you know what? I think that we have four individuals. I wouldn't really include Michael Jordan, but I feel like there's four individuals that white you know, establishment always goes to in order to rein in black people. And why just join the list? What's that? Run the names down. Roll call. Who the four people? It used to be Oprah. She's kind of fell down in her ability to influence the black community. But it used to be Oprah. And I guess the queen now must be Beyonce. And Beyonce said, you know, everybody got to jump. So it's her. And now Barack, and I guess it's going to be Michelle because black people just love and, you know, revere Michelle and, you know, Barack. So I feel like if they want something done, they go to, I, I, I said four, but now Oprah, I don't know if she's in there anymore. What do you think? Uh, Oprah's always going to be in there. You know, and, and um, black listen, people, you think black people still listen up to Oprah? Um, not, not so much as far as black people listening to her, but she do have a voice. She do has a platform and I think she can get the message out there and her white handlers can definitely utilize her to certain, to, to a certain degree. Now, you know, you don't get to where you are without Owen Fates. Somebody helped you along the way. And as you know, how we said, much is given, much is required. So they can definitely say, listen, we need you to do this. You're going to speak on this. But um, I think Oprah is, like how you say, she definitely lost favor in, in black society. So now we see her putting up billboards, uh, calling for the uh, arrest of the race soldiers that killed Breonna Taylor. But let's, let's be real, family, and let's be mindful. Jason Black was the first one to put up billboards all across the country, all across the country, weeks, months, and days before Oprah. So you have someone that doesn't even have the uh, political power, doesn't have the financial gains of an Oprah that was doing this before. And if I'm not mistaken, I think the craziest thing is that the prosecutor is a black woman. Like, I mean, the... Um the attorney general who can bring charges against the officers is black. He's a black man. And guess oh, what? I thought it was a black woman. So it's, it's no. a man? Yeah, he's a black man. And guess okay. what? He spoke at the national, the uh, Republican National Convention. What'd that tell you? You know, so yeah, that, that's crazy. Gordon didn't pay for. Gordon paid for. So we got, we got, we got a few more minutes there. You know, we've been going, right? Okay. We've been going, um, let me see. Well, we've been on here for about, we've been on here for about an hour. Okay. So, and we didn't even get to the topic of discussion. You see okay. that? Let's go. All right. So we're going to, um, we're going to talk about this briefly. 
Um, we can't go into depth due to uh, time constraint because we already been rocking with y'all for an hour. Um, but we will be back um, sometime this week. I don't know what day, but we're trying to be consistent. At least I know I am. What you trying to do? You trying to be consistent? I am consistent. I ain't trying to be. I am consistent. Okay, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. So, um, I, I wanted to talk briefly about um, the shooting of our brother, uh, Jacob Blake. Very unfortunate situation. Um, initially, you know, when things happen, everything ends up in my inbox. So, I, I got it, right? And you know what? I didn't post it. This was the first time I didn't post a police killing. And the reason why is because, you know, for months, you know, whenever I post up, I don't have people say, yo, please don't ever send me nothing like this no more. And a lot of people, you know, I had a conversation with someone and they was talking about uh, trauma porn and different things like that. And my thing for um, always posting it, you know, speaking my truth about what's going on in, in black society is to really show you who your open enemy is, to have dialogue, to strategically plan how we're going to counter this oppression, right? But for this particular one, I was like, yo, I don't even want to post this, man. This is crazy. You know, it, it, you know, and you know, people say that by continuously posting stuff, it, you're normalizing it. And, and you, the, the way I feel is that it lowers your vibrational frequency. Like, I, yes. it starts to just bother me. And I think that's why people start to have cognitive dissonance and also become desensitized to it because they see it so much. Like you said, it becomes normalized. And I feel like, yeah, I think maybe making a... Um, an effort to go towards more positive, like maybe solution-driven um, content would be mm -hmm. helpful. Because uh, I don't know if that weakens our immune, us as a people, that we're constantly seeing us, you know, killed and, and mistreated and abused. Like, I just feel like as a people, as a community, it has to be doing something. Um, well, well, you know, they say that trauma is passed down seven generations. Mm. And we're not even seven generations away from slavery. So that trauma is definitely being embedded in our DNA. But you are 100% right when you say that it weakens your immune system and messes with your vibration. Because at that particular time, I was going through something personal myself. So with that, 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 that was just like throwing it all the way up here. If I'm down here, it was just bringing it down more. So um, I didn't post it, right? But I, I was following what was going on. And as y'all know, um, the situation that happened um, with the race soldier, 17-year-old that um, killed two individuals. Um, I, was, I was speaking with a friend of mine and... The conversation we had, I was saying to myself, yo, he's bugging. There's no way. And then I spoke with, with it with someone else, and then me and you spoke about it. And he was like, yo, he might have some valid points. And um, this is the conversation, right? Supposedly, this individual, um, well, we know that he's 17 years old, and it's illegal to carry, uh, uh, to own a gun at 17, right? But I'm hearing in certain states, that if your parents buy you a rifle at 12, you can legally own it. And um, he was with his parents when he went across state lines. Uh, and he was part of the militia. And they said that someone threw a motel cocktail at him, right? Motel cocktail. And um, that's when he fired the first shot. And then he started running and when the guy hit him with the skateboard, that was the second shot. And the third person was when they pulled out the gun. So it looks like um, it could be a case of self-defense. But listen, I'm not here to argue about that. What I really want to talk about, and I want your opinion on this, 
is the police department, the uh, press conference where the uh, chief of police, you know, he just said it in no uncertain terms that those that was out protesting was breaking the law because it was past curfew. And had they not been out, this wouldn't have happened. It's just like he's just absorbing the uh, criminality and the murder of these protesters. When you seen that, what was your thoughts? Let us know. Well, my thoughts were just, you know, just another example of uh, suspected racist white supremacists not wanting to shed a light on, you know, what's really going on, the reality, um, making excuses for so they can continue to do. Uh, and I feel like if you want to use that logic, had that young boy not crossed state lines and illegally um, had possession of a weapon, it would have never happened. Like, you know, Absolutely. so I feel like it's debatable either way. All I know for a certain fact is that if you're going to say curfew equals death is okay, then you don't need to have that job because it shows me that you have a lack of empathy and a, uh, the inability to think in a way that's like just helpful, you know, just a, that, that, that could help people in finding solutions to the social issues because that's really what this is about. And he's basically pushing that to the side and saying, you know what? I'm not even going to address that. What I'm just going to focus in, in on is you're a criminal because you were out past, you know, curfew. So therefore, you deserve the to die. So that's ridiculous. The militias was out past curfew as well. So how's that argument valid? Not at all. But also, even with all of that, you brought to my attention a uh, press release. And um, I actually seen a statement from a press release, uh, a press conference that he had uh, several years ago where I think it was five individuals was accused of shoplifting. And he said that there needs to be a warehouse where all of them are put in and they are locked up and forever forgotten. They shouldn't even exist. And this is for someone that for a minor misdemeanor offense of shoplifting this is what you want to do to them and by the way those five individuals was black i shouldn't have to tell you that you should already know we're dealing with uh global uh racism and white supremacy but he shouldn't even had a job after that you know but once again when he caught backlash he semi-apologized for it downplayed it and lo and behold he didn't lose his job but uh, we need to put the pressure, had the pressure been on him then, he wouldn't have been in office now. So I want you, you, I want you to um, talk about, you know, the militias, what you heard happen and your whole take on it. Well, from, first of all, the first thing that was brought to my attention was that law enforcement was actually preparing and um, coaching these individuals on how to interact with citizens in the capacity of you know kind of um a law enforcement capacity but unofficial so i mm -hmm. feel like that's something for people to really feel alarmed about that police officers are in concert with these vigilantes or whatever you want to call them like what do you call them like you're actually giving them power and then i saw a clip that was a little later in the evening where uh the young boy is he a, i mean I, I don't know what you call him but the the guy was saying um that the police officers communicated to them that they were going to push the protesters down to them um and then kind of like turn their head basically giving them permission to kind of do what they cannot do legally. This stuff is very concerning. And this is, you know, video from people with boots on the ground. This is not officials who, who, who are put in place to say certain things or to, um, you know, give propaganda in order to sway our public view of the situation. These are actual people who are, I guess you can call them journalists in a sense, because they have their the boots on the ground and they're actually getting raw footage 
of these situations. And I feel like hearing that come out of the mouth of one of these people who was put in that position to actually um, interact with the public in, in such an intense manner, that should be very alarming to our representatives. I feel like they're doing us a disservice because I feel like had I seen, and I know they've seen the footage, right? I know they've seen the footage of um, what we've seen. And you mean to tell me you're not going to investigate? You're not going to look into it in order to protect your constituents? Nope. The mayor the mayor said that he is not call, calling for the resignation of that uh, police chief. So uh, Wisconsin, you know, the mayor is up for another term. There will be an election, and people got to hold him accountable for that. I don't care if for the last four years, well, three years and 11 months, he did everything that he said he was going to do. But this right here, he got it totally wrong. And for that, he needs to be out of office. If, if people continue to do that, these politicians are going to do the right thing because you're forcing their hand. So um, with that said, right, um, I want to bring this to a conclusion. Um, is there anything else that we need to discuss? Anything else you want to say in last closing words? Nope, I have nothing else to say. See you next time on the Necessary Blackness Podcast. You don't want to tell them where they can go get that uh, award-winning book at? Oh, yes. You can go to Amazon.com and pick up Fun in the Rain by Marcy Lee. And you can check me out on Instagram, Forever Marcy Lee. All right, all right. And y'all know where y'all can get me at. You can get me at Raheem Shabazz on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, and on YouTube. And make sure y'all continue to tune into the Necessary Blackness podcast. And we are going to be putting out snippets, videos. We maybe even do, uh, what was it we was talking about doing? Prodigy? Oh, parodies. <laughs> Parody, yeah. So we got we got we, we got a lot of things uh, planned for y'all, and um, I just want y'all to stay locked, stay loaded, and um, come back and visit us each and every week. Um, we're gonna have the necessary blackness podcast hoodies. We do have the sweatshirts. We do have the t-shirts. We are gonna have the hoodies and the hats. Okay. And as you know, we do not accept money from third parties or any corporation we are funded by the people for the people so i encourage each and every one of you that is viewing this and continue to listen to us to continue to support us make sure you subscribe to our youtube page most of the time you know we just do the podcast and we will put it up on um apple uh, itunes uh, google play and spotify but we are now utilizing YouTube. And we are using Zoom. This is the first time we use Zoom. How do you like it? Uh, it's cool. Yeah. It's cool. Like it's cool. All right. All right. So that's it for us. We'll see y'all. Stay tuned. This is Necessary Blackness Podcast, and we are out. Peace. Give them the peace sign. Ah, <laughs> she threw up the. <laughs> All right.